Hello, I'm Ken, uh, one of the leaders here at Christchurch, and uh, in just a moment we're going to look at a passage from the Bible together. Um, but let me um, let me pray as we get started here. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Word. We thank you that we have this wonderful opportunity uh, to look at it together, and we pray that it would give us real hope, real courage in the midst of really troubling times. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Lindsay said before, we would love to get your questions and comments throughout the sermon. So in the comment section down below, just put up any question that you have, and uh, we will uh, answer that later on this week in a Q&A video. Well, last week, the thing we talked about and the thing we're probably all most concerned about was our loss of control. But now this week, maybe more than ever, I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm dealing with fear. I'm afraid of the financial impact of this situation. I'm afraid of what the virus could do to my friends and my family who are in the at-risk categories. And so when it comes to our fears, real fear, genuine fear, what should we do? Well, whenever we're stressed, whenever we're in a crisis, whenever we're afraid, one of the best things that we can do is go to the Old Testament book of Psalms. Because the Psalms, they have a medicine for everything. They depict every kind of situation that you might be going through. And not only that, but they actually express every kind of emotion that you might feel. And they tell you how to process that emotion before God. They tell you what to do with that emotion. And for that reason, they're actually really practical. They show what you do. They show what words to say, what thoughts to think. And they do that especially when it comes to our fears. In fact, fear, it's the second most repeated theme in the Psalms. It shows up on almost every single page. And so what we're going to do for the next little while is look at the book of Psalms. We're going to take the medicine of the Psalms. We're going to take that medicine as we go through this time. And today we're going to look at Psalm 46, which I know a couple weeks ago a lot of you looked at in your connect groups. Well, let's see if this Psalm expresses any of the same emotions that you're feeling, any of the same fears. Well, Anna is actually going to read the psalm for us, so over to you, Anna. It's really helpful if you can follow along with the passage. So if you haven't already, um, do go and get a Bible. Um, the reading is Psalm 46. For the director of music of the sons of Korah, according to the Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still 
and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It's really helpful if you can follow along with the passage. So if you have... Thanks, Anna. It was nice to hear the birds chirping in the background of that. Well, doesn't that psalm, well, doesn't express, that psalm express something of the way or maybe of the, the way, way, or you're, feeling the right way now. you're feeling right now? And what the psalms are doing the psalms is they're, are doing they're is giving they're, words to real human experience. They describe the thoughts, the feelings, the emotions of real humans. But they never just leave it there. They the never psalmist, just leave it there. They the psalmist, always they take, seem to always take the expression of human emotion and then they take that emotion and they put it up against a particular truth. Almost every psalm does Almost this. Every psalm does this. It, takes the expression it takes the expression of human emotion and it puts it up the very it simple it up the but very profound truth that God, truth that God is. So you have this feeling, you have, so you this, have this emotion, feeling, you have afraid, this emotion, you're surrounded, you're afraid, you're surrounded. God is. God is. Or on the other hand, you're overflowing with joy, you're excited. God is. God is. And usually that truth and is usually that, God that truth is, is that king, or that God is creator. Or sometimes it's just a combination, just of, the a combination of the two. Well, look at how this psalm well, starts how in verse 1. It starts with the expression of who God is. That's how it starts. That's how it starts. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge God is our refuge and strength. An ever-present help ever present help in trouble. Now, what's the human experience now, what's the human that experience the psalmist describes? Well, it's trouble. Described. Well, it's trouble. The author uses the, author uses the particular word for the trouble that isn't just referring to circumstances, but the word he uses actually puts the focus on the emotional pain, on the emotional and, distress pain that's and distress that's being experienced. So what does the psalmist put, so that, experience psalmist put that experience up against? We'll look at it again. We'll look at it again. He puts it up against he puts three, it up descriptions, against three of descriptions of God. First, he says God is a refuge. Is God is a refuge. It's an image of a tower, image or, of a tower a fortress, or a fortress, a place that you run to and hide when you're in trouble. When you're in trouble. Where I grew up, we had tornadoes. Up, we had tornadoes, especially in the springtime. Especially in the springtime. And from as early as I can remember, not only did my parents, not only did my parents, they taught us what to do when a tornado was coming. They said, "Run to a place of run to a place of refuge." Usually, that was something like a basement or in a room within a room within the school. Why did we do that? Well, because Why did we, do that? we well, needed because something we bigger needed than us. Something we needed bigger something than, stronger something. than us to protect us in the midst of that. That's a refuge. Well, he also says that God is our strength. It's an image of something that empowers, something that empowers the strength that we don't have so we can move forward, so we can go ahead in whatever situation that we have. And then thirdly, he says God is ever-present. And do you know what that means? It just means he's near. But not just some of the time, he's near all of the time. He's ever present. And so what happens then when you put this trouble, this, this emotional trouble, pain this and emotional distress pain against, the God, who against the God is who ever present, is who ever is present, a fortress, who is, who is a our fortress, strength. who is our...
turn the microphones on. I'm just going to transition back to him. Can you actually uh, time fill? Unless you've got a better option. I don't know, I don't know. Okay, right, I'm going to pause back to transition to live. Transition to live. Well, sorry about that technical difficulty there. Let's try and keep going. So the psalmist takes this trouble that we have, this emotional pain, this emotional distress, and he puts it up against the truth that God is, that God is our refuge, that he is our strength. And so if we do that, what does that do to our fear? What does that do to our anxiety? How can the psalmist say in verse 2, therefore we will not fear though the earth give way? How can he say that? Well, we're going to see. So let's first dig deeper into the trouble. Here's our first point. Okay, first point, fearing, falling, roaring, melting, quaking, surging. This is how the psalmist describes the trouble that he's facing. It's fearing, it's falling, it's roaring, it's foaming, it's quaking, it's surging, it's melting. And he uses these words to describe both the physical world around him, the earth, the mountains, the sea, but also he uses the same words to describe the social and political and economic world that he lives in. He describes everything around him as falling and roaring and foaming and quaking and surging and melting. Look first how he describes the physical world. Look again at verse 2. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. And do you see that little word fall in there? The psalmist uses that same word. He uses it three times. But here he uses it to describe the mountains. It's it's a word of moving, it's a word of shifting, it's a word of sliding about. Now, uh, this isn't, well, maybe it is, it's kind of a humble brag, okay? So I've climbed Mount Snowden. I've hiked part of the Appalachian Trail in the southern United States. I've climbed over the Rocky Mountains on my bicycle uh, a couple of times. Again, humble brag. But there's one thing I know about mountains after doing all of that. They don't move. They're solid. They don't go anywhere. No matter how much you might want them to flatten out as you're going, they don't move. They don't shift. In fact, if you're on them, you don't want them to move. You want them, you're counting on them just staying where they are. But here the, the psalmist describes mountains that are moving. They're not still. They're falling into the sea. And look what happens, by the way, to the sea. If you think the mountains are bad, look at the sea, verse 3. Its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. And this is really violent imagery. The seas are violent, they're chaotic, they're untamable. And then notice as the eye of the psalmist moves back to the mountains, while the roaring and foaming and surging of the sea goes on, it causes the once solid mountains to quake as they slide into the sea and disappear. And do you see what's going on here? Do you see what he's saying? He's describing creation as being undone. He's saying it's reversing. In Genesis 1, it says that before God spoke the order into creation, the earth was just covered with water. There was no land. There were no mountains. It was just sea, just the chaos of the sea. And that's the trouble that the psalmist is describing. He's describing the undoing of creation. And if that's happening, well, of course there's fear. Creation is falling and roaring and foaming and quaking and surging back into chaos. 
And now look, just as the physical world is roaring and falling, so is the social, political, and economic world. Skip down to verse 6. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. Well, these are the same words used above. Both the waters and the nations roar. Both the mountains and the kingdoms fall. Now what's he saying? He's saying not only is there trouble in the physical world, but in the social, political, economic world. So let's try and follow the emotion of the psalm. Let's try and follow the emotion that the psalm is describing and drawing out for us. Because doesn't that describe how many of us are feeling? Well, I mean, of course, what he's describing isn't actually happening. Mountains aren't actually falling into the sea. But that's how it feels. That's the, he's describing his feelings. And doesn't that perfectly describe how you feel when your world is crashing down? When you lose your freedom, when you lose your income, when your career is in crisis, when your family is in disaster, when a relationship ends, when a pandemic shuts down the entire world. Isn't that how it feels? Falling, roaring, foaming, quaking, surging, melting. And don't you feel that way? And doesn't that describe your reality? Doesn't this psalm give us words for how we're feeling? I think it does. It's chaos. But look at verse 4. Because in verse 4, there's a river. Verse 4, there is a river. And that takes us to our second point. In contrast to the fearing, falling, roaring, foaming, quaking, surging, and melting, there is point two, gladness, calm, sunrise. Because you see, there's a river. Now here the psalmist uses one of the key images used over and over again in the Bible. You see, in the Bible, the sea is almost always a picture for chaos, for calamity, for trouble. But on the other hand, the river is almost always a picture for calm, for order, for control. In the Bible, a river is almost always a picture of life and stability. You know, in the Old Testament, when Moses is saved as a baby, he's saved in a river. In Psalm 1, the person who puts down roots like a tree next to a river is sturdy and fruitful. And at the very end of the Bible, we get a picture of what things will be like when there is no more mourning or crying or sickness or pain. We get a picture of a city that has no sea, but right down the middle of it is a river. Let me give you a couple of stories to help you with this. A number of years ago, back when I was living in San Diego, a friend of mine invited me to go deep sea fishing. And if you know me, you, you know that I, I don't do boats. Uh, mostly because of seasickness. I get seasick just thinking about boats, but also there's um, sea monsters. Uh, and so I said no. But after several weeks of him convincing me to go, I finally caved and I said, okay, fine, I'll go. Now, the Pacific Ocean, it's normally pretty choppy, pretty wavy. But the day before we were supposed to go out, there was actually a big storm. And so that meant the morning we went out, the ocean was just, just chaotic. Waves higher than normal, churning of the sea. So I go out on this boat and we're away for seven hours. And for seven hours, I did nothing but vomit and groan. Vomit and groan over and over and over again. For seven hours, I was on the chaos of the sea as it was roaring and churning. My whole world was turned upside down as I hung upside down over the side of the boat. 
Okay, so that's one image. That's actually a far more tame picture than the image the psalmist has been talking about. And here's the next image. Last summer, Emmy and I went on a river cruise with my parents at the Danube River. And I have to confess, I was pretty nervous to go because of, well, you know, the seasickness. But my dad told me that there would be no waves and that it would be smoother than, than going on a, on a road. And you know what? He was right. Not only was it smooth, but it was calm. And there was, there's actually something about the calm steadiness of the river that calmed my soul. I think it was the most relaxing holiday I've ever taken. So that's the difference between the sea and the river. The sea brings chaos. It turns your world upside down. But the river brings calm. It brings gladness. It brings stability. It brings peace. And look what else the river brings. Where the sea brings trouble and fear, the river, it says, brings gladness. Did you see that? Look again at verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. The river makes glad the city of God. And what is the city of God? Well, it's the place where he dwells. Do you see this? It's in God's city, the place where he dwells. It says that actually there's no sea here. There's no chaos. There's only a river. He goes on in verse 5, God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Now, what's he saying here? Well, even if there's trouble going on in the world, if the mountains are falling, if the kingdoms are falling, wherever the Lord is, he says, will not fall. That's the third use of that same verb, by the way. The mountains fall, the kingdoms fall, but the city that has the Lord in it will not fall. The NIV translation says that God is within her. He's within this city, but a better translation might be that God is at the center. The psalmist isn't talking about having God in the suburbs. He's not talking about having God on the ring road. He's talking about God having God all the way in the center, in the middle of the town hall. God at the center. And here's what he's saying. Anyone who has God at the center of their lives not on the outside, not the periphery, but right at the center of their lives, they won't fall. That's the person who can say along with the psalmist, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth give way, even though the mountains fall into the sea and there's roaring and foaming. When God is at the center of my life, Though everything else around me might fall into the sea, I will not fall. Now, do you see the immense power of God in this psalm? At the end of verse 6, did you notice this? It said, he lifts his voice, the earth melts. He has more power in one little word than an entire ocean does in all of its currents combined. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. And what if he used that power? to be your fortress? What if he used that power to be your strength? Well, if he's at the very center of your life, that's what he does. Because look what the psalmist says in verse 7, the Lord Almighty is with us. The one who lifts his voice in the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And if God is truly your fortress, if he's your strength, if He's at the very center of your life. Then what do you get? Do you get fear? Do you get anxiety? Do you get trouble? 
No. No, you get verse 10. You get stillness. That's our third point, stillness. So we've had fearing and falling and roaring and foaming and quaking and surging and melting. And then if God is at the center, you have gladness, you have calm, you have sunrise. But only that in verse 10, there's stillness. Take a look, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. And so in contrast to all the falling and the roaring and the quaking, the psalmist says, be still. Now, the other morning I went out for the walk, the one walk I'm allowed per day for exercise. And I went out at a time that should have been chaotic. It was rush hour, should have been rush hour. Perhaps the most chaotic time of the day and where I live is where all the traffic is and all the people are walking. And we went out and there were no cars driving. There were almost no people rushing or walking. There was only stillness. And it was quiet. I've never heard the city more quiet. No car noise. No people talking. It was supposed to be chaos, but it was still. Well, how do you get the stillness? How do you get the stillness? Well, believe it or not, the stillness comes only through desolation. It's very likely that this psalm was written as a reflection on a time when Jerusalem, the city of God, was under siege. There was war going on and the city was surrounded by an enemy. But look what God does. Look what, what the God who can melt the earth with nothing but a word. Look what he can do on behalf of those in the city. Verse 8. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And so do you see? It's through desolation, through the desolation of the enemy that the stillness comes. And so how does the Lord give us the stillness? How does he give it to us? Well, it's through desolation. The Lord desolates our greatest enemies, the twin enemy of sin and death. Look, a virus is an enemy. A global economic recession is an enemy. A fight between spouses or parents and children when you're locked in your houses, that's an enemy. We have lots of enemies. But all those enemies are just symptoms of our greatest enemies of sin and death. And here's the good news. The Lord has already fought those enemies and won. He's already broken the bow and shattered the spear. He's already burned the shields of our enemies with fire. And he did that when Jesus Christ came near. When he came near, he did that when Jesus Christ entered into our world, or to use the language of the psalm, when Jesus Christ entered our city. Jesus Christ defeated our trouble. But he did it paradoxically. He doesn't come in and with a sword defeat them. No, instead, Jesus, the, de the desolation he brings to our enemies of sin and death is by being desolated himself. He took the sword. He took the desolation. He was broken. He was shattered. You see, just before Jesus Christ was arrested, he was afraid. He was wanting refuge. He was in the garden and he was so overwhelmed, it says that he sweat drops of blood. He was in trouble. Everything was falling down around him. He was arrested. He was 
beaten. He was wrongfully convicted. He was crucified. And even though, even though he had the strength to come down off the cross, he didn't. And do you know why he did that? Do you know why he endured that? It's because by receiving the desolation, sin was defeated. All our sin was defeated by his desolation, by his death. And not only that, but death, death itself was defeated. His death was the death of death. And do you know how we know that? It's because on the third day he rose again. You see, Jesus Christ took the desolation that belongs to us for our sin. He was broken. He was shattered so that you and I could get the stillness, so that we could be still. And when you invite Jesus Christ into the center of your life, you get the stillness. Because if he can defeat the enemies of sin and death, then you know you can be secure no matter what trouble you face. And that's, this is how we overcome our fear. This is how we do it. It's by drawing near to Jesus Christ who endured our trouble. It's by inviting Jesus Christ to come all the way into the center of my life. And when you do that, when I do that, you get the stillness. You get to be still because your sin is paid for. And when Jesus Christ is at the center of your life, he becomes your ever-present help in trouble. Now, you need to know, having Jesus at the center of your life, it doesn't take away your trouble. In fact, in some cases, it makes it more, it makes it worse. And so it doesn't mean having Jesus in your life doesn't mean you won't have trouble. You're going to have trouble. You're having trouble. But what it means is he's your fortress. What it means is he becomes your strength. What it means is he becomes your ever-present help in times of trouble. So that's why the psalmist can say all the way back in verse 2, Therefore, we will not fear. Why? Why will we not fear? Well, it's because, is it because everything is just going, going to be fine? Everything's going to work out in the end? Is that what he says? No. In fact, the focus of the psalm seems to be on the fact that everything will not be all right. There will be a falling, a roaring, a foaming, a quaking, a surging, maybe even a melting. But we will not fear. And why is that? because the Lord is our ever-present help. He's our strength. He's our fortress. And so now we have a new logic, a new way of dealing with our anxiousness, a new way of dealing with our fear. There's a new logic to dealing with anxiety. And actually, when we live from this new logic, not only is there stillness, but actually it, it overflows, it becomes praise. And that's our fourth point, praise. It's laid out for us in verse 8. Take a look. Come and see what the Lord has done. So here's the logic. The logic that leads to praise is this. First come, then see. So first come. When you're afraid, come near to the Lord. Invite the Lord to come near to you. Invite him all the way into the center of your life. Why is it that when we watch a scary film, we grab the hand of the person next to us or maybe we sit real close to them? Why Why do we do that? Well, it's because their presence in that moment, that gives us confidence. But when we invite the Lord to come near, when we take his hand, then our anxiety, then our fear turns into stillness. You know, the Apostle Paul, he makes a similar point in Philippians chapter 4. He says, don't be anxious. 
And instead of being anxious, he says, you should turn your anxious words into words of prayer. And that when you do that, he says, you get the peace. You get this peace that transcends all understanding. But do you know what he says immediately before telling us to not be anxious? Right before that, he says, the Lord is near. Do you see the logic there? The Lord is near. Do not be anxious. Turn your anxious words into prayer. It's the nearness of the Lord that soothes our anxiousness. So are you fearful? Are you anxious? Come near to the Lord. Invite the Lord in. Invite him to come near to you. That's the first part of the logic. The second one is see. Second, it says to see what the Lord has done. He's asking us to think about. He's asking us to meditate on what the Lord has done, to look back at all the ways the Lord has delivered his people in the past. And if he's done it for them, then he'll do it for you. And so are you afraid? Are you fearful? Well, the psalmist is saying, look, pick up your Bible. Read it. Look at what the Lord has done. Look at how he's delivered his people. You might even pick up a Christian biography and read it and see how the Lord has sustained his people. Look what the Lord has done. And what does this new logic of come and see lead us to? Well, it leads then to praise. So how do you know if you made the Lord your refuge? How do you know if he's your strength? How do you know if verse 1 and verse 7 and verse 11 are true? Well, verse 10 says this. The Lord says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Look, you know something is your refuge when you praise it. That's why survivors of car crashes praise the airbags. That's why cancer survivors praise the hospital staff. It's because in that moment of their greatest trouble, they had a refuge, they had a strength. And what does the psalmist do in his trouble? He invites the Lord into the center of his life. He sees, he looks back and he sees what the Lord has done. And then that leads him to praise. And that's a helpful diagnostic for us. So if in this time, if you're not praising the Lord, it probably means he's not your refuge. It probably means you have something else as your refuge. You've looked to something else as your strength. If you're frozen with fear, it probably means you've invited something else into the center of your life. So why not try this? Why not try inviting the Lord in? Why not ask him to come into the center? Why not look at what he has done? Why not ask him to be your strength? Why not ask him to be your refuge? Because when you come near to him, he comes near to you. That's what he promises us. When you meditate on what he's done before, then he becomes your refuge. And if he's your refuge, then you can't help but praise him. And so let's practice that now. I want to give us just a moment. I'm going to stay here on the screen. I want to give you just a moment to pray, to invite the Lord in, to ask the Lord to come in. And then I want you to think of just one thing, just one thing that you can remember that the Lord has done for you, or maybe you remember it from the Bible. So I'm going to give you just a minute right now. We're going to have a time in just a minute where we're all going to pray, but right now I just want you to pray quietly in your own heart. Ask the Lord to come in. Think about something he's done, and then turn that into praise. Do that right now.
Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we invite you right into the center. Come right into the center of our lives. Father, we recognize all that you have done for us. We recognize even today what you've done for us through Jesus Christ. That he came near, that he defeated sin and death for us so that we could get the stillness. And so because of that, we praise you. Because of that, we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hopefully, through our time together, you've put some prayer requests in the comment section below. You can